But it is good to be back with you. And as Josiah said, tonight we are wrapping up this series called Stressed Out. And we'll kind of give an overview, some concluding remarks. And I'm really excited about the panel discussion that we'll have to try and dig deeper into some of these practical questions, whether stress and anxiety and depression is a huge issue in your life. It most likely is if it's not in yours and in a close friend or loved one as well. And this is a common thing. And so hopefully tonight you'll leave not only with a reminder of what the Bible says, but some new tools and disciplines, some hopefully fresh reminders to you as we live in just in a stress and anxiety filled world. So where we've been the last month or so, we started off the series just talking about the world that we live in being so busy. And that life is so busy all the time. And we talked about the lie that we can buy into really easily that busyness equals significance. That busyness equals significance. And that if we're doing something, then that must mean our lives are significant. And we talked about how so often our lives are just filled with stuff, but it's not actually significant things at all. And the hours we spend on our screens and wasting time are not actually significant life-giving things to us. We talked about the values that we have and if we're living into those values. After that, we talked about the value of finding rest. That's the sermon, if you remember, I told you, take a nap during the sermon because you're putting it to media application. Not tonight, that was a month ago, you missed it. Sorry, all right? And we talked about how rest and having and setting limits in your life is not a weakness, but it's a sign of strength. And we looked out from the foundation of the world that God created in six days and then not needing to, but he modeling for us on the seventh day decided to rest. And then how we need to get off this idea as people that we have to do everything and we can never take a break, but it's healthy for us and it's spiritually healthy for us just to sometimes hit the pause button and to relax and to refresh. Pastor Kirk preached on anxiety and and how anxiety can overwhelm and can be such a prominent thing in our life, but how we can continue to encounter God in our anxiety and to find his presence amidst the the tumult of life. Two weeks ago, Pastor Eric talked about depression. We looked at Psalm chapter 42 and where the psalmist just seems to have entered into a dark pit and he can't find God. And Eric charged us with these songs to sing to ourselves in the midst of crippling darkness and depression, and that even there God speaks to us. And then last week, Justin talked about how we can find peace and perspective in this crazy world. And how that Philippians 4, where it says, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. Now, amidst the craziness of this world, what we need is some perspective. And when we find that, it gives us peace in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of our lives. And so as we think through kind of where we've been, and I just wanted to give us just three kind of concluding thoughts for me as I was thinking of this idea. And I've been able, by the way, if you missed any of the messages, I missed like half of them. So if you miss any of the messages, you can listen to all those on our website as well as on YouTube. They're there and I would encourage you to listen to each and every one of them. But as I thought about tonight, just to to wrap up, to give us some concluding thoughts on this whole idea that we've been looking at for the last six weeks on living in such a stress filled world that so many of us have anxiety and depression and all these different things. 
Three concluding thoughts for us. The first concluding thought and reminder for us tonight is just this. Just a reminder that your salvation before God does not depend on your performance. Your salvation does not depend on your performance. And so much of our lives, if we live our lives not sure on where we stand before God, could be a never-ending cycle of anxiety and pressure. I've been a pastor here for nearly 12 years. And it's such a common thing that when people are struggling with not knowing if they've done enough or where they stand with God, there's just an oppression, a weight, an anxiety on their lives because they ask me this question, well, well, have I done enough? How do I know have I done enough? And I just want to remind us tonight that your salvation is not dependent on what you have done. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 reminds us of this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is something that is undeserved, that's given to someone who doesn't deserve it. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, the foundational identity of a believer, if you're a Christian tonight, the foundational identity of a believer is that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And just like the family you were born into, you didn't pick them. You got stuck with them. And some of you are like, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I got stuck with them. And guess what? You can't do anything to get out of that family. You're stuck with them for the rest of your life. That metaphor speaks so powerfully of security to us. It should because that's the metaphor that we should identify to God, that he is our father and we are his sons and daughters. And just as a parent love, parent's love, a good parent's love is unconditional to their children no matter what they do. The perfect father's love towards us is unconditional no matter what you do. So we live in a world with a lot of stress and anxiety. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus tonight for salvation, I just want to remind you, you don't have to worry about if you've done enough before God. You don't have to worry about where you stand. A lot of things in life are uncertain, but for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, their salvation is not one of them. You stand secure before God because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that you have done. So our salvation is not dependent on our performance. The second reminder for us tonight is that our salvation does not depend on our feelings. Our salvation does not depend on our feelings. How many of you have ever said a comment like this? I feel so close to God right now, or I can feel the Holy Spirit working in my life. I've said something like that. How many of you have ever said something like that? Lots of us have said things like that. Maybe we've had a retreat season or we've just had a time where we've really felt the presence and the power of God and we, we say we can feel so close to God. How many of you ever said something like this? I feel so spiritually dry. I feel like I am unable to feel God's presence in my life. I've said that. I know I've been there too. The question that I want to ask you tonight is in the moment where I felt close to God and where I couldn't feel God's presence, had my relationship with God changed at all? Had my salvation changed? Had my status before him changed? No, it hadn't. 
See, emotions are an important part of what it means to be human, but we are more than our emotions. We are more than our emotions. And when we don't feel the presence of God, when we don't feel the love of God, it's an important reminder for us to ask ourselves this question. Does our faith dictate our feelings or do our feelings dictate our faith? Does our faith dictate our feelings or do our feelings dictate our faith? I was reading an article this week that I loved and it was talking about how how it's not wise as Christians to, to live life revolving just around our feelings. And I love their biggest point, which I was like, oh, that's so good. Why you shouldn't do this way is this. You can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your feelings. How many of you have ever felt really strongly about one thing and like a month later felt totally the opposite? I felt that way. You can't trust your own feelings. They swing back and forth. They're not always consistent. They're not always There, you can't trust your own feelings, so why would you trust that your relationship with God is affected only by how you feel? They're constantly changing. Not only that, but because we live in a world affected by sin, it means our emotions and our feelings are affected by sin as well. And there will be times that we will not feel the love of God and we will not feel things, but that doesn't change our status before God. We don't base our healthy relationships that we have in our lives. We don't base those relationships on feelings alone either. So let's not base our relationship with God on feelings alone as well. See, it can be true that you can be a follower of God and feel alone. You can feel abandoned. You can feel overwhelmed in life. There's, uh, there's sometimes... Christians meaning really well give really bad advice, but it sounds good. And that can be the most damaging thing. And one of those things that I think Christians like to say sometimes, because it sounds good, but it's so harmful is this. And I don't know if I've said it. If I have, I apologize. Hopefully I've never said it to any of you. But this, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that? I'm like, show me the passage in verse, please, because that's not the experience of my life. And that's not in the Bible. God will give you more than you alone can handle. There will be times in your life that the circumstances of life will overwhelm you. You can't handle it by yourself because those circumstances are meant to drive you to him. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed, feeling abandoned, I just want to remind you of the promise in Psalms. Psalm chapter 23, a famous passage, well-known Psalmist says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For God is with me. God is with me. Oftentimes when we feel alone and abandoned by God, feel overwhelmed in this life, we may cry out to God and we want answers. God doesn't give us answers a lot of the time, but you know what? God will always give his presence with us. He won't always give you the answers that you want, but when you cry out for God and ask for him to be with you, he will be there no matter what. Pastor Eric, when preaching on depression, quoted Charles Spurgeon. I found this quote this week who struggled with depression for most of his life. He said this, My faith rests not in what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Jesus is and what Jesus has done 
and in what Jesus is now doing for me. Our faith doesn't rest in our feelings. It rests on Jesus alone. The third thought that I had for us in conclusion is this, is that if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, if you're a Christian tonight, all of life is about growing in trust with God. All of life is about growing in trust with God. See, in Scripture, the words belief, faith, and trust all come from the same word. They all come from the same word, and if you think about it, they all have generally the same idea. But in our time, when we use these words, belief is an either-or thing. You either believe something or you don't. And so when our feelings are coming overwhelmed, when we're in the midst of stress and anxiety, it's hard to know, do I believe or not? And that can be such a struggle. It's hard to know, well, what does that question mean? And I found it very helpful Years ago, I was challenged by a book that challenged me. Think of every time you're struggling with something in your life. Think of this, am I trusting God with this right now? Not do I believe in God or not, but with this specific thing that God's given to me, am I trusting God? Yes, but still with this. Because still with this. And every new day as we live is a new opportunity to grow in trust with God. And I don't know about you, But when I reflect on my life and a lot of the things that cause me stress and anxiety, it's because the things that I need to put my trust in God in, I try and control myself. The things that God says to trust in him for, I try and hold on to to myself. God says to trust him with the future. And I go, yeah, but I have this perfect plan. And I want it to pull out this way. I want to do it like this. Those of you who have kids, God says, trust me with your kids. And you go, oh, that's really, really hard. Yes, it is. But God says to trust you, trust him with your children. Your work stresses you out. God says, trust me with that. Experiencing the death of a loved one or an illness in your life that seemed to be unexpected could bring unexpected stress into our lives. And God says, yes, trust me even with this. See, to grow in trust with God, even through dark and difficult times, it's helpful for us to look back at what God has done in our lives already. I grew up um, and and worked for actually over 20 years now helping do camps over the summer. And I love going to camp and I love being a counselor and helping program camps. And one of the things that was unique when I was a counselor at camp is you helped kids, you would do these exercises on how to build trust with other people. And the ultimate culmination, perhaps you've seen or been a part of these before, is a trust fall where someone will stand on a platform about seven or eight feet tall, the people will line up behind and they'll catch them. Now here's the thing, that's not the first exercise that you do an hour into camp. That's not what you do because they don't even know the people's names catching them. But there was a specific set of things slowly to build up. You would walk around with someone, you would be blindfolded, and someone would guide you around where you couldn't see, building trust. You would stand in a circle with your body firm and allow the people to pass you around, and your weight would be kind of loose, but you could catch yourself if you needed, but they wouldn't drop you. Trust, ultimately building to greater trust. Look back on your life if you're a follower of Jesus. See where you've placed your trust in God and he's come through. And know that all of life is just growing and growing in this trust that we have. 
Our salvation doesn't depend on what we've done, what we feel. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that's what all of life is. is continuing in every circumstance that God gives us to trust in him again and anew. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who is with us in and through every difficulty and storm of life. We now pray as we have the panel discussion that you would guide and bless this time. It may be profitable, it may be helpful for all of us who are here tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I would like to invite our panelists to come on up. To come on up. Of this too. I think I'm on here now. Hey, there I am. All right. So go ahead, guys. Grab a seat. So we did this. If you were here this fall, we did um, a series on, on death, and we did a panel discussion, and we just found, heard so much good feedback and was so helpful that we thought, hey, let's do it again. And I, by no means, am an expert when it comes to these things, but I have a panel of experts, so that's just as good. All right. So sitting next to me is Jocelyn Carter. Jocelyn is a professor of psychology at DePaul University. Melody Knapp, who is on our panel in the fall, is a licensed professional counselor. And Kirk is a pastor at Moody Church. And that gives him all the qualifications he needs, right? And also a professor at Moody Bible Institute um, for many years. So the first question for you guys tonight, and anyone who wants, feel free. I think you guys get to share a mic. Jocelyn, I think you have one next to you there. Is Why is stress so prevalent and common in our world today? I'll jump it. It's on. Can you hear me? Um, I think you touched on this in the intro because it's cool. Uh, busy is cool. Busy makes you feel significant. And uh, we, at our base level, want to feel significant. And so uh, when, when people ask me, what have you been doing? Uh, I want them to know that I'm busy and I feel significant. I think beyond that, they're, you know, technology and devices, and I think it gives the illusion of rest, um, but yeah, watching TV or on a phone or a tablet, um, it's not restful. And so even when we're thinking that we're resting, uh, we're not. So I think, I think those things contribute. I think we, uh, we tend to drive by adrenaline, and so adrenaline is both negative and positive. Um, we are motivated by stress. Um, but sometimes when we don't manage our stress very well, it can be very overwhelming and unmanageable. And also we don't know how to regulate ourselves. We don't try to attain regulation on a consistent basis. Yeah, and I think I would add there that, um, that stress can be a good thing. So if you are an organism, which we are, we're special organisms, but when we're exposed to stress, that gives us an opportunity to grow. Um, when stress is a problem is when it's sort of beyond what our capacity is to handle in that particular moment, and there's a lot of uncertainty about things that are coming up that are new, maybe previous generations haven't had to deal with, or they've dealt with them with different sources of um, support um, or like fallback. Um, and so as we don't have that um, support to fall back on, the amount of stress that we're experiencing can be harmful in a, in a different way than maybe it has in years past. It's helpful. How does um, 
stress and anxiety, I'm thinking more low level, not like, but um, just affects all of our lives, right? Sometimes you might be able to think, well, that's work stress, that's home stress, but how does, how does living a life constantly with these things, if we're not dealing with them in healthy ways, how does that affect all of our lives? I mean, physically, um, it does affect our whole being. Um, GI problems, um, sleeping patterns tends to erupt, um, our eating habits, um, and so we get headaches and uh, migraines, and our sensations also is being affected. We get numbed or tingling feelings. So that's the physical part. Um, but also, this, also the mental part is that we tend to ruminate. When we worry, we ruminate, we replay those thoughts over and over again. We tend to suppress our emotions and avoid those emotions, which then intensifies the things that you're experiencing. So it doesn't really remove the problem, it just intensifies it. So that's, those are the two. And I was going to say, similarly, um, stress just exhausts us. And if we're operating at a constant um, low level of stress, then we don't ever have the chance to recover, um, rebuild our bodies, um, rebuild our healthy um, habits. And so we can't um, handle the next big stressor um, that, that comes our way. So we don't get a chance to um, regroup, um, rebuild, and then respond um, in, a, in a healthier way when we're experiencing stress. And also spiritual, I think you touched upon this, um, Michael Best, um, that when we do feel negatively, we do tend to doubt um, who God is, um, what we believe is true. We tend to question whether we are loved by God. Um, so those things are very prevalent um, when we do have a high level of stress or anxiety or depression. Kirk, any other spiritual things that you can think of that, that often can draw in just to being stressed in all sorts of other areas of life? I think, I think it just um, it testifies to how we're created, right? We're so interconnected and, uh, you know, gray hair is connected to, you know, GI stuff. To, you know, just there's, there's physical manifestations that come through in maybe body language and communication and, you know, nonverbals. And so I think there's a whole lot of that in, or in the mind, right? Mind renewal and trying to have correct thoughts it's hard to do that when, when you're stressed out. And, and all this, you know, the series kind of brings to the surface the idea of all these things cloud our perception of God, self, of others, and, you know, our orientation in the world. And I think uh, that, that over, it's like a fog in our spiritual life that can hijack things. Yeah, I remember I, I shared in the, the message that we did on rest how D.A. Carson, who's one of the most prominent theologians in the world, did a, a lecture on spiritual doubt, and one of his main reasons for spiritual doubt was a lack of sleep, and how doubt comes with lack of sleep, which is a result of stress and other things. I just thought that was so, so fascinating. It's amazing how interconnected we are that God has created us. So what are some tools or disciplines, practical things that if someone's like, man, my life is filled with stress, I don't think I should kick my kids out of the house. They're three. So that, that's not going to work, right? Like, I can't just quit my job and go on vacation for the rest of my life. Um, so what are some, some tools, some disciplines that a 
person living in Chicago, busy, maybe married, maybe kid, but whatever, can, can institute into their life even the next week that would help them with some of the stress and anxiety that they experience? Now, what I usually encourage my clients is to first to relax your body, um, to activate the, part, uh, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calming aspect of your nervous, the calming aspect of your nervous system. Because when that's not calm, you can't think properly. Um, you can't renew your mind with God's truth. Uh, you can't remember the experience that you have with God and how he built that testimony with your, in your life. And so, um, so first is to how do you calm your body? How do you rest? How do you sit down? Um, and so that's what I would do first. And then second, once you're calmed down, is to really reflect on God's truth and to restructure your experience of God's sovereignty in your life. For me, one of the biggest things that I work with children and adolescents and parents with is figuring out when they're um, feeling overwhelmed with stress, what kind of stress it is, if it's controllable or uncontrollable stress. And one of the things I really like people to do is match their coping strategy for the kind of stress that it is. So if something is controllable, then you, and um, as, as Christians, we know ultimately God is sovereign and in control, but there might be particular things that happen that we could directly address by having a different problem-solving approach or getting help or expertise in that. And then there are some things that we, that we can't control. They're not, um, we, we can't um, get rid of our family members. Um, so we have to approach hand, handling that stress with a different way. And if we don't have the right match with our coping strategy, then it's not ever going to be effective. Um, so I think that's important. I think noticing um, noticing what those stressors are. So like we've been talking about, if it's if it's constant, then you might not even be aware um, that it's occurring to you. So when people go through big life events like um, like a divorce or um, a death, then it's very easy to say, okay, I'm, I'm feeling stressed. But you might just have this low level that you're like, I don't really know what's actually going on. Um, so I think paying attention. Um, and then one of the things that goes um, to um, Michael's point earlier is, is about um, keeping track of, of, of gratitude and focusing on the positive. So not to, not to minimize or deny the very real, very hard, um, sometimes traumatic circumstances that people find themselves in, um, but not focusing 100% on those things and um, reminding yourself of all of the good um, that there is and um, the times where God has allowed you um, to come through um, these things. I, th I think there's uh, basic things that maybe we're aware of, you know, breathing exercises, uh, exercise in general, I mean, affecting dopamine levels and, and you know, uh, just bodily functions that, that can be helpful. I think maybe uh, addressing what Jocelyn said, knowing the type of stress and coupling that with the type of rest needed, right? So how you may feel uh, unstressed or de-stressed through that. Is it, is it walking in nature? Is it, is it reading? Is it, you know, what, what's going to bring about? Is it talking to a friend? Finding ways, it may just be helpful, you know, everyday habits 
that can bring a sense of perspective and, and, and gratitude or focus on God and the center of God being, or God being at the center of our lives is key. And, and I think, um, yeah, understanding what, what rest looks like, I think is, is a critical piece of this. Also, I want to add some practical um, information is that we need to be careful in what we listen to, the lyrics that we listen to, because those lyrics could also reinforce your anxiety or your depression. What you watch um, is also important. Um, that could also interpret, uh, reinforce the interpretation of your core beliefs. So if you have a negative core beliefs, um, um, then that's something that we need to be aware too, is to be careful in what we watch. Um, Justin, could you give us an example of controllable? So I think we understand the, the non-controllable stress, right? But can you give us an example, maybe one or two? I'm just wondering what that category is. It's, it sounds helpful, but if you could maybe put a little more flesh on that for us. Sure, and I'll use um, an example from the adolescent world because that's the, the world that I live in, but um, in, in many ways, but in, specifically in my work too. Um, so a controllable stressor would be, an, um, an example of that would be getting a poor grade on a test, right? So that presumably is something that if you um, spent more time studying, if you reached out to the teacher for more assistance, um, if you made a better study plan, then you would be able to be more successful the next time um, that you took the, took the test. So it can be gathering more information, something that, that you're doing that's actually um, causing, causing the problem. So test scores or school performance are a good example of that. No, that's helpful. Melody, you said a phrase which I'd never heard before, but restructuring your view of God's sovereignty. <laughs> Uh, well, Can you tell us what that, what that, yeah, I mean, that, that just caught me, that's such a cool phrase, yeah, I never heard that phrase that way before. Restructuring your experience of the sovereignty yeah, of God. Um, yeah. Well, it's based on my personal experience. Um, a few years ago, I was in a three-year um, desert journey, and coming from seminary, you would think that I would know what sovereignty means. Intellectually, I know, but um, my head and my heart wasn't connected to that, and so God was testing me do I really know what it means to believe God's sovereignty? And so he had to, uh, I had to go through this three-year journey where um, most of you have probably know that because um, I've shared a few of those experiences with you. Um, but it was a, a, a three-year of unanswered prayers, um, three years of depressive and anxiety symptoms. And, um, and so... Through that, I learned to be content and, and grateful. I'm still learning how to do that, but, um, but how do I be grateful and content in God's sovereignty um, when I'm not getting what I want or when I'm not getting what my desire is? And so, but after that three years, no, after two years, um, I asked him, how, how am I doing <laughs> with this testing? And he said, um, you still have a lot to learn. <laughs> but basically, he wanted me to learn, are you content with me? Are you, am I enough for you? Um, if I don't answer your prayers, are you, am I enough? And so I had to learn that he has to be enough. And that's how, and I think that's the main reason of what I understood about sovereignty of God. It's like, is he enough? Is he bigger than my worries, my 
my concerns, with everything that I desire. No, thank, thank you for sense. sharing. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, in, in, I think, the world in general, and I think in the church somewhat as well, there's been a little more discussion probably the last 10 years on anxiety and depression um, and mental health and the importance that that plays on our lives and just on everybody's life in general. But what is something that you would say that's often misunderstood about more serious anxiety and depression that people from the outside who haven't dealt with it either experientially or like many of you have in, in dealing with people who struggle with it ongoing? What's something that is often misunderstood about it? Uh, so most of my, most of the clients that comes in, um, their symptoms have already been intensified. And so they have nowhere to go or they have, um, they can't help themselves anymore. So I want to encourage everyone is that I think there is this concept of I could do it on my own. I can cope on my own. And the thing is, is that we are created um, relational human beings um, and also um, if you're a Christian, we are made, we're made to fellowship among the body of Christ. And so which that means is that we could only get healed through God and through relationships. And so if you're living in isolation and avoiding everybody and avoiding everything, you're only intensifying your situations, um, your symptoms. It doesn't go away when we suppress it. It would eventually come out more intense, um, unexpectedly, and that's where everything could go awry. So. Yeah, and I, I think one of the biggest challenges in dealing with, um, with mental health problems is knowing when there actually is a problem. So we all experience times of um, sadness or, or worry and fear. Um, a lot of people don't like public speaking, for example. Um, but what's, what's hard is then, since we all have that experience of some sadness, of a of, of assuming that when someone says that they're depressed and they're really struggling, that they'll be able to um, snap out of that um, on their own the same way we might experience um, like normal variation or fluctuation in our mood. And so knowing um, we're, we're continuing to learn so much um, from science about underlying um, sort of biological, physiological contributions to um, mental illness. And I, so I think that um, giving, giving permission for people to be healed um, from mental illness in the same way that we treat physical illness or other things is really important and powerful in the body of church. God's working through psychologists and psychiatrists the same way he's working through oncologists and other kinds of physicians. Also, um, there is also this concept of if I just be busy, um, then I'll be okay. You know, so you're using distraction to another way of avoiding your problem, your symptoms, and the situations that you're in. And one more last thing <laughs> is that um, I think individuals who, um, people have this concept that people who struggle with depression and anxiety are that they are weak Christians or they're lacking in faith. And um, if we believe that, then we're, we, you know, you would question yourself, like, am I being Job's friends? Because Job's friends did question Job. They didn't understand the context of what, um, what God is doing in his life. I think each individual has a book in of itself, and so we need to really understand the context of, it, 
of the individual before we say anything or without, before judging very quickly. So. I think um, come as a learner, uh, I think, to and not expect to understand, uh, I think would be uh, something to be aware of. Uh, and not just, well, I'll pray for you, even though prayer is good, or um, quote them scripture, even though doing that is helpful, but it's not as simplistic as that. Um, it is, and, and when you, know, you begin to see it as, as holistic, realize that there may be a whole team of people um, to, to address the issue, and to maybe think through your part in playing that. Am I a friend? Am I a counselor? Am I a pastor? Am I... You know, what, how can I help and not hinder, I think, is key. Um, and ask them, what, what, what is helpful? Uh, what, is, um, what, is, what is not helpful? Because I'm sure they could list off a bunch of things, those who struggle with it. Melody, you hit on it a little bit. Um, but love to hear more from you guys. And just this, um, this question, what would you say to someone, maybe even someone here tonight, who feels like, they probably have at least some high anxiety. Maybe if they look up the symptoms of depression, they're seeing a lot of things like, yup, yup, yup. But they've never said anything to anyone. What would you say to that person? <laughs> um, I think I kind of mentioned this earlier, but um, you could only get healed through relationships. Um, whether if it's just your therapist or your counselor, at least start there first if you can't trust um, people in your life, and I get it. They're, I mean, if you grew up in a family where um, your family members have, are not trustworthy um, or um, you don't have friends who you could trust, but at least find someone, at least a therapist or a counselor or a pastor, um, to talk about those situations and learn to develop um, who, learn, um, who are your safe people? You know, there's a book by Henry Townsend, I mean, Henry Cloud and John Townsend that talks about safe people. I think those, that is a, a really good book to read in terms of how to identify those people that you could trust so that you could actually be part of the body of Christ and share the things that you are concerned about. And I don't want to speak for the for the pastors, but I I <laughs> believe from interactions that I've had with them that um, they are safe people, and that when there are there's a space for counseling and um, support from a pastor. But then if um, your symptoms need more, um, then I think that they are also really good at helping connect to different resources um, for, um, for therapy um, from Christian counselors or from other um, organizations known in the church. Um, so I think it's good um, to at least reach out to a pastor if, you, if you're thinking that you don't have anyone else in your life right now um, that, that cares. Um, they care. We care. I, th I think the, the thing that is most helpful is someone to uh, sit down with a therapist or, or a pastor or a doctor to, to say that you're, you're not abnormal, right? Like to bring some validation to what you're experiencing. Okay, I get it. We're, we're walking with you through that. Because I think you can, you can go for so long just thinking like, 
this is, I'm alone, I'm by myself, this doesn't happen to anybody else, I don't know how to deal with it. So to have somebody who can, who can step in and, and to kind of say, yep, that right there, this is what it is, and help you identify it and talk you through it, I think is critical. And I think connecting with a, with a clinical therapist, with a doctor, with a pastor, um, we can all be part of the team on that. So if, if anxiety and depression isn't something that we personally um, have struggled with, chances are that each of us here tonight know someone, whether that's a family member or a friend, who is or who has. So kind of a two-part question, what can we do um, to help support them? And then I think sometimes for, for those who haven't experienced kind of the symptoms of it, it's what, what not to do. Because sometimes I think there's a fear that if we do something, we're just going to say something stupid and we don't want to make it even worse. And so we just run back and we don't say anything or do anything. Um, so how can we help proactively? And then maybe is there anything that we should make sure to avoid as we try and support those in our lives who, who are struggling and working through some of these things? It's really important to be trusting and, um, and trustworthy. Um, what I mean by that is um, allow an, um, an atmosphere of where the individual could be vulnerable. And that vulnerability is protected and nurtured. And if you're not that person, you're going to have to be honest with yourself. I mean, it is hard to listen to um, people who are struggling because we are not taught in how to deal with that. So it can be very overwhelming. And that is something that you will have to work on yourself. Um, and you don't, and also be hum, humble enough to say to yourself, like, you know, I really do not know how to go about this, but I'm your friend and I wanna be here. Maybe you could have to direct me in how to help you here. Okay, so the way I always think about it is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so a lot of times um, we don't like to listen and, and sit with people who are in pain because that makes us feel uncomfortable too. But, but taking that time um, to do that I think is really important. And I think it's also a thing not to do, I would say, is to tell people that you understand um, if you if you really don't understand. So I think um, comparing stories or saying like, oh, this is like when this happened to me um, may be helpful at some point, but usually not at the not not at, not at the beginning, not when they're in in the midst of something, because um, it can um, minimize and also sort of put the attention back on you. And it can be an attempt to to build relationship and su and support, but um, really focusing on what that person and how they're experiencing what they're going through at, at the moment, I think is most helpful. And yeah, I mean, um, yeah, being uncomfortable with the emotions, we tend to want to fix it. And so we need to delay on fixing the problem um, and also, because it doesn't help, right? Um, and also, you know, we need to listen to the story of that person. Uh, each individual has a story that God is creating and Think of it as each individual has a as, um, as a book in itself, you know, and so it's really important to actively listen before um, and understanding and validating that person. I think to come with uh, the re realistic expectation that things may not get better real quick, 
or they may get better for a bit and then they take a turn for the worst, right? So to be willing to walk with that person through it, uh, whatever path God has them to, and, and as you walk with them to be learning um, how to be a help, because um, I guarantee you, if, if you're in it with them for the long haul, you're going to be making some stumbles, you're going to step on toes, you're going to say the wrong thing, but, but learn from those mistakes, love them through it, develop that trusted relationship, um, and, and ultimately, both of you are all parties involved, you're growing in your walk with the Lord through this, this issue uh, that, that uh, again, God and his sovereignty is allowing you to experience. Yeah, it is. It's, it's at the same time difficult to help, but it's a privilege to help, right? And I think maintaining that perspective, sometimes we view people as problems, right? Like, oh, no, here they come again. Oh, no, the phone's ringing, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a long conversation, right? And, and it's to remind ourselves that the people aren't problems, Right, that, that they're real people and they have real issues. Yeah, and it's really important to also to know your boundaries. What, what can you handle and what you can't you not handle? And so, and be humbly, humble enough to, to say that in a respectful way, of course. But Anything else you would like to share with us on these things? They've given us all their wisdom. Can we give them a round of applause? Just tell them thank you for, uh, thank you guys.